Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. All right, everybody, before we get into the show this week, I want to talk to you a little bit about our buddy, John Bradshaw Layfield. Now, we did a whole show on him a couple of weeks ago, and I hope you all enjoyed it. But we're doing a pretty cool thing over on YouTube right now. And if you go over to YouTube, check out JBL and check out the Philly Godfather and the Animals. Because on our YouTube channel, these guys are sharing with you pics, okay? I even hate to say picks because they're actually moves that professional gamblers are making every single day. They're sharing them with you absolutely free on our YouTube page. Just head on over to the Philly Godfather and the Animals on the YouTube channel and see what it is, the actual moves that they're making on a daily basis. You're going to get free advice. You're going to get some free picks. And we just want you to go check it out. JBL is showing you inside where he lives over there in Bermuda. Some really cool stuff. So do us a favor. Check out YouTube. Go to the Philly Godfather and the Animals and get yourself some free picks. Uh, Matter of fact, if you guys have ever heard of Joey Odessa, he is probably the foremost gambler in the best odds maker that there is when it comes to the UFC. Big UFC fight coming up this week uh, for UFC Boxing. Man, we have it all free over on YouTube. Check it out right now. Go to YouTube and check out the Philly Godfather and the animals and uh, get some entertainment, but also get some valuable information. Welcome do something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. Thank you, Bruce. I love you. Double cheeseburger. Double cheese. Double mayo. Double onion, mother. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, how was it, man? How you doing? You excited to be here? I'm fired up. Absolutely. I'm ready to be cued. Wait. Yeah, I'm going to be cued. You're going to be A. No, no you're going to be A. we talked about this last week. I don't want to do any A. You're oh, doing I'm doing the A. the A and you're doing the Q. I'm doing the Q. You're doing the A. Get your shit together, wait, pal. Wait a minute. When did that happen? Well, we said we were doing a Q and A. So you like. knows how I just cued you and you A'd? Oh, I'm not supposed to be A and you're supposed to be A and. No. Okay. Well, got it. Either way, we appreciate you guys being with us. All right. So let's keep it moving here. Let's get to the questions. We took to social media and said, we wanted to hear from you guys. You guys had an opportunity to ask us whatever you wanted to ask us. And I'm pretty excited about this one because we don't do these very often. Um, are you, do you get nervous about these Q and a episodes now that you're back, uh, under the flagship? I get nervous every time that. I do one of these with you, Counter. Just <laughs> well, we had hundreds of questions. We're going to pick some of your best ones now. And Batista's gonna... dick is huge. Well, there we go. There you go. Okay. So now you've got what? Six questions left. Let's I go. I do. Okay. Here we go. Uh, I hit it raw. Like it's Monday night wants to know when did you realize that Vince Russo was a complete fucking idiot? Probably that's not fair to say Russo. It was, is an idiot. Russo is a talented guy and was very creative. Um, well, but why, I why, think why that, do fans think that though, like, you know, I'm weird. I treat people how they treat me. Russo's always been pretty cool to me. Like what, why do fans think he's an idiot? They listen to his commentary, and, but some of that stuff, he's just saying for a reaction. Okay. 
Okay. I, I just, I, I just, when he started to believe his own stuff and, and really started to believe that he was the only one writing things and that it was all his genius. So uh, that was probably midway through his run. He had a two year run. And, and they were two really, really big years. Let's talk about two years that years. maybe weren't so big. Jonathan hood wants to know if Bruce had full control when he worked at impact, what were some of the things he would have tried to accomplish to stay competitive? Well, a couple of things, uh, I would have had, I been able to be there a year earlier when impact had the opportunity to go live. I definitely would not have gone live up against Monday night raw. And at the time SmackDown was moving from Thursdays to Fridays, I would have capitalized on that Thursday time slot and jumped in and put TV on there. Uh, I would have gone live and I would have stayed live. I think that live television adds a element of danger and realism that you don't get with a recorded show. So that's, that's one thing. And I don't know that I would have relied on, uh, as many legends as, as we did, but those were, the cards that we were dealt and had to work within those parameters. And, and I've said it before and I'll, I'll say it again. When I went to TNA, I needed a job. So I, I just needed a paycheck <laughs> as when I got into it. And then all these other opportunities started to come my way. You still had a lot of parameters where I didn't have, it was never going to be, you have full control. Uh, but I would have done without, uh, some of the legends that were in place. And I think that I would have gone and tried to get some younger guys and create and actually bring up some of that homegrown talent that they had. One of the other questions that we got, uh, from Jeff Stewart, I found interesting were fat guys getting titles like the natural disasters and Yokozuna directly related events, wanting to stay away from the bodybuilder look in the wake of the steroid trial. <laughs> that is a funny question. Yeah, that sure. Absolutely. No, goddamn, Look at our guys. We're fat. That's one of the silliest. No, the answer is no. That's just a silly question. I think it's a fair question. Because I mean, you, you, it's because of me, because I like fat guys. No, well, clearly, I mean, we do a show together. <laughs> There you go. Hey, Greg has a great question. We've, we've seen this on, on various other shows, uh, but I've never talked about it with you. Greg wants to know, does Ted Turner deserve to be in the WWE hall of fame? Yes. I think so too. You know, without Ted Turner and WTBS for, uh, as far as the expansion of the wrestling business in and of itself, when world championship wrestling wasn't world champion. It was Georgia championship wrestling was on TBS and TBS became a superstation and was a part of cable systems nationwide. He was the first Ted wasn't an owner of it. He wasn't a promoter of it, but he gave it the platform and believed in it for many years. So yeah, I would, I would give Ted Turner a nod. Let's talk about, um, the talk show segments that you do on WWE these days, Jason Barnett wants to know why did WWE move away from talk show segments with their own set, like the brother love show, the funeral parlor, the barbershop, et cetera, to doing everything in the ring. It seems like it would be a nightmare to decorate the ring for a live show versus having something already set up. That, that's an interesting question to me. Cause there was a real major shift there. The snake pit, all, all these things had their own set and now it all happens in the ring. Is that a Kevin Dunn decision, a Vince McMahon decision? Chat me up. It's a configuration decision where the set has changed uh, the, with the ramp and everything else and utilizing as much as they possibly can of that floor space to sell tickets. It was a completely different setup. We didn't have ramps and elaborate stages and all that other stuff when we were doing our set pieces in the Brother Love days. So the the setup has changed. And if you want to do something in front of an audience, you can either do it on the set, which they still do some things on the set or in the ring, but in the ring, that is the stage that is the main stage in that building. So it just lends itself 
much easier. It's the only place really left to do it. Chris wants to know when Andre turned babyface at WrestleMania six, was there any consideration for an on-air reconciliation between he and Hogan? Hmm. Not that was discussed. It would have been no. cool though. It would have been. Yeah, probably would have been. Jacob wants to know if slash when Bruce gets inducted into the WWE hall of fame, would he like to go in as brother love for the on-screen personality of Bruce Pritchard? Or as Bruce Pritchard, Vince McMahon's right-hand man. Well, I'd rather just go in as Bruce Pritchard, creative genius. You got to have that title. I like it. There you go. That's it. Uh, That's the only one. That's the only one. uh, So therefore I will never go into the WWE. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how about this? Creative genius. Pat Patterson should go in twice then. Yeah. Uh, Jake and Bay wants to know who came up with Chris masters gimmick and entrance. Who was high on him? Feels like a Vince project. I don't remember specifically. Chris came out of the developmental territory and Chris had this incredible body and a hell of a look. Plus he was a little more seasoned than some of the folks that we had in. So it was. He was just a product of that developmental territory at the time that bringing new guys up, trying them out. I know we're not going to talk about the behind the scenes creative, but about every third question is about Firefly Funhouse. Uh, how fun is it to see the reaction from the crowd to the uh, Firefly Funhouse? It's amazing and stay tuned. Uh, Dominic wants to know, does Vince acknowledge top stars at Christmas or birthdays and do the talent acknowledge Vince? That's an interesting question. We've never talked about it. Does Vince give like when, when stone cold was the top star, does Vince give him a Christmas present and does stone cold give Vince a present? That's an interesting discussion. I have no idea if they exchange gifts or not, you know, from time to time, I, I think I've gotten Vince maybe two two, maybe three Christmas gifts in 32 years. And same thing from him to me, but it's very rare. I have no idea if, if he and stone cold, like put on their little Santa caps and shit, <laughs> sat around a Christmas tree and has some hot chocolate with marshmallows and shit. And here you go, pal. God damn kid. That's pretty nice. I got some for you too. No, who the fuck knows? Quick question about, uh, or from Jason Bayless. When Rick Rude went behind WWE's back and negotiated a new deal with WCW over the phone the night of the screw job in Montreal, how was that viewed by Vince? Because the rumor was uh, he was figured in through the plans for WWE Creative through the first of the year. Well, Rick was figured in with the whole DX deal, but. At the same time, you know, we also had taken Rick out of obscurity where WCW wouldn't touch Rick. And the only thing that made Rick valuable to them at the time was he was on our television and he was available. So, and and that's our bad for ever allowing somebody to go on a week to week contract too. Let's talk about, um, the raw bowl. We got lots of questions about the January 1st, 1996 edition of raw. It was the raw bowl. What can you tell us about that? You know, Vince, it was in January. It was right around the time that all of the bowl games were taking place in, uh, college football. So we were going to have our own damn bowl, if you will. And that's how the raw bowl was, was born guys picking different teams and, uh, getting everything laid out that way. It was, it was just a fun idea. A little, little something different. Uh, let's talk about, um, art Donovan, tons of questions about him. Dylan wants to know, pretty sure Vince was not at the King of the ring 94 show, but how the fuck did art Donovan come to be? Art Donovan is from Baltimore. That's where the pay-per-view took place. And he was a pretty big name and art had done some color commentary for football was very glib and entertaining. I know Kevin Dunn was a big fan of art. Um, and it just happened. Art had become a part of the promotion locally to help us do some different things. And Vince thought, well, he does color commentary on, Football, Randy and 
Gorilla would be able to get some glib shit out of him for the matches. He didn't he didn't have to know uh any about any of the matches or the issues or anything. We just wanted some funny, entertaining shit out of him. Instead it was funny, just not like haha. Chris wants to know why isn't Rick Martel in the WWE Hall of Fame? Rick Martel should be in the WWE Hall of Fame, and he will be. I, I promise you, Rick Martel will be a member of the WWE Hall of Fame at some point. Well, you know, the next question is going to be, why did it take so long? Uh, you know, the questions about the Hall of Fame sometimes astound me. It's like, why is this guy in it? Well, why isn't that guy in it? It's all subjective and enjoy it and have fun with it. But those questions, there is no answer to those kind of questions. Adam wants to know, um, was there ever a consideration for Kevin Von Erich in a WWF ring? Ah, uh, that's a good question. I don't think so. I know we had talked about at one point, probably in, I don't know the time frame, but we had talked about at one point, maybe doing a couple of one-offs in Dallas with Kevin, but Kevin had no desire to go on the road. He had no desire to come in and work any kind of a full-time schedule, but he was open to maybe doing something in the Dallas area. Just never materialized. It's weird though. I mean, you know, Carrie comes up, not Kevin does feel like a missed opportunity. Chris wants to know back in the late eighties, John Madden named Bobby Heenan, the manager of his all Madden team. And he appeared in a Miller light mass Marauder commercial with Jesse Ventura and Vince McMahon. Got any Madden stories you can share? John Madden was the, uh, color guy for CBS at the time. And his manager or system manager was a friend of mine. And they, John Madden was big time wrestling fan. He was a, bigger Bobby Heenan fan than anything. John loved the business and Vince had been trying to get John tried to get him. I believe to WrestleMania three to come in and do color commentary for WrestleMania. And we tried it for, and every single year up until probably 98, 99, when we stopped trying because it just wasn't going to happen. But John was afraid of planes and he would only travel in his, big motor coach, the big bus that he had. So it just never, never could materialize. But I remember, uh, his, his manager give me a call one day and said, what do you think if for the all Madden team, we've never had a manager and John would like to have Bobby, the brain Heenan be the manager for the all Madden team. And I thought that was pure genius. And, Threw it by Vince, threw it by Bobby. They both loved it. Uh, to this day, I think I've got uh, somewhere, not readily available, but I pretty much, pretty sure that I have my John Madden All Madden team swag with the jacket and some of the shirts and a ball cap from that game. Next up, Mr. McCall wants to know in James Dixon's book, Titan Shattered. He talked about how Macho Man was on the cusp of coming back to WWF in 1996. Was there any truth to this? I've never heard this story anywhere else. Yes, there was. Randy and I talked, and we had gone back and forth on a contract, and it fell apart. Just, I think it was... Too far apart on money? We were far apart on money... And dates, you know, at that time, Vince wasn't big on limited number of dates for talent. You're either under contract or you're not. And Randy wanted so many dates. It, it just, it just got crossways at some point. And I'm the one that had to deliver the message. Uh, Mike Mills has three questions here. And the first one's the best one. Uh, why did WWE partner with karate fighters in 1996 when they already had a three-time karate black belt hall of famer on board? Well, because by God, 
karate men. And, and they use that same three time black belt hall of famer in the commercial himself is jumbo Jim. So that was their nod to his expertise. Uh, he also wants to know, do you think the max moon character would work in 2019? A variation of it probably could. Sure. Last question that Mike has here. How would you have booked Kurt Angle's last run? Uh, you know, let's pretend that nothing happened on TV, but if you could say, Hey, how should Kurt Angle go out? You know, fantasy land, any roster, anywhere, anytime, any place, what would it be? Probably just like it was getting somebody over and putting over a young talent. Terrible. Uh, Neil wants to know what can Bruce it's not us? terrible. That's the right thing to do. So people did for Kurt. What can Bruce tell us about the flying nuns? <laughs> oh man. Shotgun Saturday night. We had, we were looking at different talent. We'd use the headbangers a couple times as enhancement talents on TV. Vince wanted crazy characters for shotgun Saturday night because it was New York and took a look at the headbangers and saw them as nuns. So we named them the flying nuns with brother love as their manager and the rest, as they say, is history. Thank God it only made its way to shotgun Saturday night. And that that concept was scrapped fairly quickly. Thomas Hoover wants to know how did Tito Santana feel about being repackaged as El Matador and how did Tony Atlas feel about Saba Simba? Well, Tito's El Matador, hell, Tito went to Matador school in uh, Tijuana and learned how to be a Matador the whole nine yards, did the training, lived down there for a little while. Uh, he was all about it, ready to go in and do it. It was a change. It freshened up his gimmick a little bit. Um, but after a while, I just think there was only so much you could do with the matador. And what was the other one? Saba Simba. Saba Simba, Tony Atlas. Same thing. I, I think that Tony was looking to re revive his career, but Tony Atlas as Tony Atlas was so recognizable you know, Tito Santana was the matador. It wasn't like we were trying to hide Tito Santana. And Tony Atlas as Saba Simba, it just didn't fit. He was Mr. USA. He was from Roanoke, Virginia. And, and that one just was a harder sell and flew in the face of everything. And wasn't good. Didn't last long, thank God. Yeah. Thank God. Uh, Liam wants to know who signed kiss Arnie and got any good stories. Wow. Sin Bodie was kiss Arnie. He was a friend of edges and I, I had known him for a while just through the independent scene and always liked him. What? he started talking about his days in the carnival and, and that's kind of where it stayed was carnival Carney, And, and let's make, let's make him, you know, what everybody perceives. I don't think that Nick really got the chance to get that gimmick over. I think that if he had had a little bit longer, and been able to have some matches and tell some stories. And I think that Kizarni could have had a little bit of a run. I really do. Joshua. Oh, I'll, t I'll tell you, uh, well, here's, here's one though, of, of a story of Sin Bodie. When I was at, uh, TNA, we did one of those days where, you're doing like eight. I think we did like 719 pay-per-views in one day at universal studios. So the days would just all run together and be really long by the end of, and I'm not exaggerating here. There were some times that we would do three and four 
pay-per-views for the monthly pay-per-views in one day. And by the time you get to the third or fourth one, the audience is dead, dead. If you even have an audience and I'm sitting at the gorilla position and sin goes out. Next thing I hear is an explosion. Well, after I hear the explosion, I've got this giant motherfucker in my face and two other, uh, one guy in a uniform and then two representatives from universal studios. And like, what the fuck was that? I'm like, what uh, exactly? What was that? Sin Bodie had wrapped a, you know, like blackjacks or black cats, the fireworks around his neck. And he lit them right before he went out. Now, I didn't notice what he had around his neck, nor did I see him lighting black cats. But he lit it on a graded stage with I don't know how much pyro underneath him. In a closed building on a Universal Studios lot. They were irate. He was escorted off the uh, off the lot. I, I remember Pat Kenny telling me, he goes, I've never seen you so mad in all my life. They had to get me away from sin so that I didn't uh, confront him immediately when he came back from the ring. They actually went, they got him, security got him, and they took him out. And I said, no, I've got to speak to him. And he came over, and, and I talked to him, and I just couldn't believe it. He said, it's just firecrackers. I said, dude, it's fi first of all, fire in an enclosed building. You don't know. Do you have any idea how much pyro was under? Because I didn't know. I said, well, because you didn't ask. But I like Nick, and, and he's a... Uh, I think he's a good guy and he's a talent that could have gotten over. But that one day at, in Florida, I wanted to kill him. Bless his heart. Uh, Joshua wants to know in early 98, did Kevin Nash ever try to call Vince to come back to the company? I guess there's been a rumor that he was, uh, not pleased in 98 and tried to reach out. Wouldn't surprise me at all. I don't know if he did or not. I'm not privy to if he called Vince or not, but wouldn't shock me. Peter George wants to know what did Vince think of the SummerSlam match between Shawn Michaels and Hulk Hogan? I think he enjoyed it. <laughs> you know, it was different. It was, it was what it was, but I think he enjoyed it. I don't know. There was anything else really to do with that. It was over the top. WTF wants to know WWF 3d. What was the concept and why didn't it happen? There was a tease, I guess, uh, WF 3d attitude, November 23rd. Um, what do you remember? The idea was we had these brand new 3d cameras that they were testing out and we were going to present an entire pay-per-view in 3d. So you would buy the pay-per-view, have the glasses sent to you and you would see, um, the pay-per-view in 3d. The problem was the way that the matches had to be shot with the 3d cameras is you really had to set everything up, have certain lighting and it didn't, you definitely couldn't have pulled it off live. And the expense of trying to do that was exorbitant and you never would have recouped your money. So we thought we had it. We thought we would be able to do it but it never materialized. Lots of variations of this. Uh, Jared wants to know what's the status of something else to wrestle season two. Well, it was still to come still to find out. Um, <laughs> there is no status right now, but hopefully when uh, a lot of new things will be announced on the network at some point, but it's never dead until it's dead. It ain't dead. Uh, well, and you've got all this free time. You know? Oh yeah. Oh, well, so do you. I mean, <laughs> shit, Conrad. I mean, between the two of us, I, I, we, we call it, you know, 
you and I just call each other all the time and say, uh, are you twiddling your thumbs from right, oh, right over left or left over right? Yeah. Well, we forward used to, or backward. We used to talk twice a day, every day. And now with your new schedule, it's like uh, twice a week for three minutes total. <laughs> and then, and then whatever time we tape and maybe, you know, and that's to find out when we're going to tape. Yes. Hey man, can you tape Wednesday? No, let's do Thursday morning. Okay, cool. See you there. Yeah. Uh, Kevin wants to know, Bruce, how big is Conrad's box of gimmicks? Oh, <laughs> you mean the con well, anyway. <laughs> uh, Jeremy wants to know, was the idea of the winner of the Royal rumble receiving a title match ever discussed before Royal rumble 93? No, not to my knowledge. Uh, obviously they, they did the one with Ric Flair for the vacated title, but, um, I'm the one that made the big fight for it with Yoko. Besides the undertaker, who is the, uh, locker room leader that you remember most from the WWF or WWE, you know, just New York Hogan, uh, Hogan in the early days, Hogan and Savage, those type of guys, Kansas wants to know, is there any reason that the entrance is usually to the left of the hard cam? WCW was to the right. That's interesting. I don't know that we've ever really talked about that before, but the hard cam placement with the entrance always being from the left is sort of a staple for the WWF. Why is that? Just the way it always sets up. Usually the way the buildings look better that way, shooting into not shooting into the uh, deep end of the bowl, but shooting across in the shallow end. Now I'm with you on that, but I'm saying, why not just go the other way? Like, why not just set it up a crawl? Why, why not? Why not set the stage up on the other end? You know what I mean? Like you're going to, you're going to shoot across the lower bowl. I got that, but it's always to the left. Couldn't you put the stage to the right or just put your camera on the other side? Sure. It's just the way it's always been done. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the only answer that can make sense. Uh, Haristo wants to know why was Jr. Southern accent. Okay. With Vince, but Tony Schiavone's wasn't. Well, I'm not sure JR's Southern accent was okay with Vince. Uh, no, um, you know, Tony's was different. Tony's wasn't as pronounced as JR's. So JR, you could put a cowboy hat on him and you feel that's honest and you could feel that that's true and it's okay. But Tony was in between. And I think that Vince wanted a more generic accent if you will like the minnesota so many people in broadcasting or if you ever notice are from the midwest and the minnesota area which is strange because i think they talk kind of funny but i don't know that's just one of vince's little things you saw steve austin has hell he thinks i talk funny well you do uh do you have an update? yeah because you're fucking goddamn Webster, what's the, what's the first name of the Webster guy? I love you so much right now. Hey, uh, Rand, Rand McNally Webster, Furnham's name, Miriam Webster. You know, right. I, I'll, I'll let you just, um, hang yourself a little bit on a recent episode when we were talking about a, a famous female tennis player. What was her name? I forget. Monica sales. <laughs> um, Haristo wants what? to know. Well, no. it's seals, but sales. Haristo so <laughs> uh, wants to know, do you have an That's update? That's just my Southern accent. Now you're making fun of the way I talk. I'm not. Yeah, you are. Who, who owns the Houston library now? Do you have an update? Uh, yeah, I'm not going to discuss that. Okay. Sorry, Haristo. I asked. Uh, Thomas Henley wants to know any stories of Atsushi Onita visiting the WWF headquarters back in 97. What did you guys talk about? Was there a discussion of having a death match in the WWF? Do you believe Onita is crazy? Yes. Onita is crazy. I don't, I don't believe it. I know it. Uh, Onita was looking for an opportunity to work with us and have talent kind of a talent exchange, but he really didn't have a whole lot of talent to exchange with us. He was more looking for WWE stars to come to Japan and perform for his company. And there was all this talk all the time about if he could only do a 
what's that explosive explosion match in the U.S. and the explosion match just didn't appeal to Vince at all. That would have been fucking wild. Uh, That's no- the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. Have you ever seen one? Yes. They're fucking stupid. Hey, so, um, I mean, do we really want to talk about that right now? What? I mean, you, you guys did a Punjabi match like the, yeah. Punjabi prison. There really is a Punjabi prison. Motherfucker. Well, there, motherfucker. Really, there, there really is exploding bar bar. I saw, I seen it. Okay. Uh, doc wants to know, uh, if Bruce could put, <laughs> Hey, Hey, it's Conrad in any backstage or office role. What would it be? Shit disturber. I mean, that'd mm. be it, right? Janitor. <laughs> I mean, I did keep a clean house. Uh, this is from Chris. Oh, please. Where's Clint? All right, let's keep it moving here. Um, Will wants to know what's the most difficult pro wrestling prop the company has ever had to make or pull off. Interesting. Anything fragile, um, for example, sometimes the, the bottles and things that, that are used are so fragile. You have to handle them with kid gloves. Um, it's just anything that's going to break. Do you want to, do you want to tell a story about sugar glass that you had in the last few years? Oh my God. Well, I was actually an MLW and all day long we had these, they had, got sugar glass that we were going to use for this one bottle scene and all day long there people are walking around with these glasses or bottles because they're so easily to easy to break and i wanted to try one out to see how easy it was no no because of of cost they were so expensive that we didn't want to break one so I'm like, okay, so everybody's walking around just carrying these things like they're Fabergé egg or something. And when it came time to use it, the person that went to go break the bottle smashes the bottle over the person's head and it bounces off their head and goes flying. They were plastic bottles. They were not sugar glass bottles. And... I, uh, old Bruce came out in me for a while. I went and got the bottle and I threw it at everybody that I could, including the person that ordered them. And when you go back and look at it, it actually looked better with the plastic bottle, frankly, because it didn't break and it looked more real. It looked like it hurt like hell, probably because it did. Um, so in the end it worked out better, but it was just funny all day long, everybody had been like, "Ooh, these these could break. Don't get them too hot. Don't get them too cold. Don't don't touch it this way. Don't touch it that way. You can only carry it like this." And then it wasn't. So yeah, anything breakable, I hate. Chris wants to know. Sid appeared on Sean Mooney's podcast recently and stated that Hogan flipped out backstage after the '92 Rumble because he was booed. If Bruce was there, would he have died on the hill to turn Hogan heel? And who does he think would have persuaded Vince? Well, I did not die. I wasn't there, but, uh, I had suggested turning Hogan heel many times and wasn't the hill I was going to die on. Brad wants to know what's a typical show day. Like for a wrestler, what is call time for a house show, uh, versus a raw versus a pay-per-view? It really depends on the wrestler and what they may have. For example, some guys, your top guys may have a lot of meet and greets beforehand and, or make a wish things like that. But normally you get to the building about an hour before hour and a half and get dressed, get ready to go. And if you have autographs to sign or meet and greets, what have you, but then you get together with your producer and your talent figure out what you're doing for that evening, knock it out and go home. Let's and, go on to the next town. Andy wants to know if brother love were to manage any current WWE superstar, who should it be? Not Bruce Pritchard, but brother love. Is there a character that brother love would work for today? 
Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Andy wants to know, is Bruce friends with Jim Cornette? I ask because these days it seems like Jim Cornette just talks rubbish about Bruce. Well, Jimmy's mad at me, uh, for whatever reason, and I'm not going to get into it. And I refuse to badmouth Jim in any way, shape or form. We've been friends for years and friends sometimes have disagreements and misunderstandings and that's all it is. And I love Jim to death. Um, whether he feels the same or not, that's Jim's opinion. And you're not going to hear me say anything bad about Jim Cornette. I got too much respect for him and, and I value the time that we had, uh, for many years too much. Uh, Brian wants to know, does Bruce think that Eric Bischoff or Tony Schiavone will ever get into the WWE hall of fame? I think Eric will. Tony won't, but Eric will. Uh, Deshaun wants to know whose idea was Fantasio and why did he only have huh. one match? Because the motherfucker almost burned me up at the gorilla position. The fucking liquid fire, the motherfucker. Fantasio was uh, a guy that worked for Jerry Lawler, Del, uh, Del Rios. I, I don't know his working name or real name. I think his name was Del Rios. And it was like, he's a magician and he can do all these magic tricks and shit. I said, can he make his opponent disappear? Well, yeah, of course he can, but no, he couldn't. And his magic tricks were the kind of shit you got out of the Marshall Brodeen magic box. And he did a TV match. It was so, so then he looked more like a mime than a magician we're at the gorilla position one time and he had liquid fire set gorilla position on fire. He, he dropped the bottle of liquid fire and my curtains, everything at gorilla just went up in flames. I wanted to kill him. So that was the end of him. That. Yeah. He, he, he was gone. Uh, black excellence wants to know why was Pat Patterson, the referee for WrestleMania 11 main event with bam, bam Bigelow and Lawrence Taylor. Cause Lawrence was comfortable with Pat and Pat had been with them from the very beginning, laying out the match and working with LT and LT was comfortable with Pat being there. Oh my gosh. Um, DJ Lewis wants to know were Eddie's low riders ever his, did he ever drive one of his own? How were they acquired for each show? Uh, what can you tell us about Eddie's low riders? That's pretty brutal to think that Eddie Guerrero would only drive the low riders, man. Uh, no, we got those. There was a low rider association that we worked with that had hookups in all the different markets where we went. So we, we went through one party that knew somebody in every town and they would bring us their best low riders, man. There was a, uh, a picture recently posted on dark side of the ring of Vince McMahon boating and, uh, he's in speedos here. And Jonathan wants to know, was this Vince's normal attire out by the pool? Uh, did you and Pat also wear speedos? If I'm tanning, hell yes. <laughs> Who doesn't? Uh, it's just the best. Um, the fuck do you wear when you're tanning? First of all, what the fuck are you talking about tanning? I, I don't go to the tanning bed. That's ridiculous. I haven't been in over a year, but still, when you're tanning, you've got two tanning beds in your house. I, yeah, not for me. Well, but when you're laying out in your pool, you wear like little short shorts. I wear shorts. Oh, please. Steve Maddox wants to know, in Bruce's opinion during his times at WWE, who were some of the biggest disappointments he's seen where... You thought you had the next big superstar, but once the bell rang or they spoke, it was all crickets. You know, I'd have to say Brian Adams crush was disappointing because we really thought he would take off. Um, I was disappointed with Damian Demento. I had never, I loved the look of the gimmick, but I hadn't seen him work enough to really understand whether or not he was a great worker, but I just thought with that look and his size and everything that he could have been a lot more guys like that. Curtis wants to know why did D Brown never get a shot of the world title? 
he had the charisma. He was a good wrestler. Fans were with him. What kept him from being at that level? I don't know. I just don't think that there were so many. I The real reason is there were so many top guys that were already there that in the time frame that D'Lo was with the company, it just didn't happen because there were so many people ahead of him. This is silly, uh, but we get questions like this a lot. Zack Ryder's 2011 push wants to know, how does Vince McMahon like his steaks? Cooked. I mean, I th- you know the question. Rare, medium rare, medium. Medium rare with ketchup. I knew it. That's what he wanted. I can't Lots believe this. Lots of ketchup. God. That's- he takes you to Smith and Walensky's. Orders the finest steak in Manhattan and then douses it with Heinz. I don't think he, I don't think he did that, but he does it at the office and at home. Yes. Lee Parker once drives me nuts. Another theory like this or another question. What is uh, Vince McMahon's favorite dessert? Don't give the gimmick answer. Do you know? No. All right. I'm trying to think of him eating dessert. <laughs> I was gonna say that's gotta be hard. Uh, you know he'll like he'll eat uh, uh, like a chocolate pie. Um, for uh, when you started chocolate, Thanksgiving. I thought you were going gimmick answer. No, no, I'm I'm, I'm really thinking here. I'm thinking because yeah. it because it. Thanksgiving, I know he would always look forward to, um, to Linda's baking and stuff, but I'm trying to think, I can't think of any dessert I've ever seen him eat. He did have cheesecake with Jim Cornette one time for Corny's birthday. Uh, Vince got him a big old cheesecake, cheesecake, double cheese, motherfucker. And like Vince had a bite. Um, this is a, an interesting question and we've had, uh, variations of, of this for a while, but we've never really talked about it. Underwood wants to know, was Abdullah the butcher ever discussed to come in for a run with Hogan and what are Vince's thoughts on Abdullah the butcher? Abdullah, to my knowledge was never discussed to come in. I think he was way too gimmicky as far as the blood and guts and all that. That wasn't something that Vince was really into. And I don't know that Abdullah ever expressed any interest in ever wanting to come in either. So it went both ways. And I don't know that Abdullah would have fit in the WWE model. Uh, What about, you know, nobody's asking this, but it's often been speculated that Brody would have done huge money with Hogan on top. Um, you ever have a conversation with Vince about Brody? Well, uh, Brody was, uh, left us way too soon by the time that I got to WWF. So no, uh, he, he had worked for Vince's dad, but you know, shit, it was Brody was gone when I first started there. So, um, shortly thereafter anyway. Uh, AC five thirteen says had triple H not torn his quad in 2001, where would he have fit in the invasion angle? It's a great question. God, uh, I don't remember because I think that before we even got into that whole invasion angle, he, he had torn his quad. That invasion angle came up pretty quick. So, and happened quick. So the fact that he wasn't around wasn't even considered in it. And that's, uh, that's kind of where we landed. Got another question here about macho man. This time it involved is easy for me to say it involves his match with uh, Bret Hart from November of 97. Uh, some would say the best match in Saturday night main of history. Is it true that on the heels of that match, both guys requested the opportunity to work a feud together? Mm, I could see Randy always saying, 
you know, brother, I think uh, I could get him over and do something for him, help him out there. Uh huh. And who the hell wouldn't want to work with Randy Savage? So that wouldn't surprise me at all. But anything significant? No, not that I can remember. Lots of questions about Tom McGee this week. Of course, uh, that match finally aired on the WWE network recently. Uh, what can you tell us about Tom McGee that you remember? You know, I remember Tom, I came in 1987 and I remember Tom from time to time doing dark matches at television tapings. And if you put Tom with somebody that could work, Tom looked okay. And if you put Tom with somebody that couldn't work or an enhancement talent, uh, neither one knew what the hell to do. So Tom McGee was an extremely strong human being with, uh, gifted with incredible athletic skills, but less than zero charisma. And it was, you would see sparks of brilliance where you go, Oh my God, look at that. And then, Oh my God, look at that. So he ran the gambit. Uh, Mark wants to know, I was disappointed that WrestleMania 30 was not in New York city. Do you feel WWE should have kept the tradition of having WrestleMania at Madison square garden every 10 years? I do. I, I think that, uh, that was where it all started. And I think it's a, you know, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool tradition, but obviously they haven't done it. And that's passed by. So just got to say next. Steven wants to know, was Bruce Pritchard around when Vince did his famous stand back performance? I would love to hear his thoughts about that performance and perhaps what Johnny Ace would have thought of it. Uh, I was right there, man. I was right there for the week long rehearsal with all the dancers and choreographers for that whole slammy event. That was at Caesars in Atlantic city shitload of fun, but, uh, a lot of hard work, man. Those were all day, all night rehearsals. And I thought it was awesome. I stood back. So I stand, I stand in the back, get the back of his arms with the, with the oil. I use man oil instead of baby oil. Chance Richardson wants to know what is Bruce Pritchard's biggest regret in his career? Huh? I, you know what? I, I can't look at it like that. I, I don't, um, I've fucked up. I've made a lot of mistakes, but you learn from your mistakes and, and you move on and, and some doors shut and others open. You just can't look at shit with regret. And I've learned that in my old age. I, I don't know of anything I really regret. Lots of people would have never suspected that, uh, WWE would have ever left Titan towers, but it looks like that's going to happen. we got various questions about, do you see WWE ever leaving Connecticut to instead go to somewhere like Nevada or Florida or somewhere where there's no state income tax or you know, they already have a presence in Florida with NXT. As far as you know, WWE would always remain in Connecticut or could you see there being a change in the future one day? I think that WWE is always going to remain in close proximity to New York city. Yeah. Uh, Ethan wants to know going PG seemed to help the company financial financially, but do you think it hurt the in-ring product? No, I don't. I just think it makes people be more creative. Craig wants to know what, um, Bruce thinks of Kevin Kelly, the announcer quote. You seem to badmouth him a lot. I always liked him. When have I ever badmouthed Kevin Kelly? I was wondering the same thing. I mean, I think if you did, you know, you did it sort of tongue in cheek, just joking around. I've never heard you say anything that I remember negative about Kevin. No, I have nothing negative to say about Kevin. I got Kevin from Eddie Mansfield. They were doing tapes, um, in Florida and the guns came in and they gave me Kevin's number and shit. I'm the one that, that hired him and went after Kevin Kelly. So I have nothing negative to say. And if you, <laughs> I love an example of me bashing Kevin Kelly, cause I 
can't say that's ever happened. I, I like Kevin. The real Meeks wants to know what was your favorite brother love segment and why, and what was your least favorite segment and why? Uh, my favorite is probably the Sacramento Saturday night's main event with Hulk Hogan and slick. And my least favorite was probably with Dino Bravo, just because it was so hard to do. Chris Herman wants to know what was the plan for Hade Vanson and why did we only ever see one vignette from him and no debut? Wow. Um, well, the plan originally was he was coming in to be an opponent for undertaker, but the, the reality of it is, is that once he came in for a couple of dart matches, he had done some vignettes talking about coming in. When he came in for the dark matches and Vince just saw how small he was and was not impressed with his work, um, it was all over. Scott wants to know what were the plans for Brock Lesnar after WrestleMania 20? Had he stayed? Well, we didn't have any because we knew so early on that he was gone. I mean, that we, we programmed it to WrestleMania and you know, probably would if he had stayed, he probably would have gone over Goldberg and been in the title picture somehow. But it's when you know somebody's gone, no more plans are thought about. Next, Wes Ray wants to know what was the reaction in the locker room to the news of the murder of Dino Bravo. You know, uh, I don't know. Uh, the reason I say, I don't know is because that was during a time that we were doing TV every three weeks and we weren't, we weren't around the boys a lot other than at television tapings. And so when Dino's death took place, I'm sure that there were folks that knew him and reacted, but I can't say that I was there and that anybody was really upset or not upset one way or another, because we didn't see him for another three weeks. And it wasn't like it was something that was talked about a lot. Jeremy Jones wants to know when Bruce was in talent relations, did a talent ever blow it in the interview process? Whew. Kurt angle. Kurt angles about the, the closest I could say to that. Um, his first interview was absolutely terrible and came across, uh, as someone who didn't really want to be there and was just doing it because it was something his manager or somebody told him to do. But once Kurt got away from it and did his homework and got a, you know, a piece of it, then his attitude changed completely. What can you tell us about? Big bully Busick got various questions about him. Uh, why more wasn't done with him, what the original plans were, why it didn't work out various questions like that. What can you tell us? I wasn't there for big bully Busick. However, I was a big fan of big bully Busick. Uh, and I was a fan of his when he was in global. And then I was a big fan when they brought him up to the WWE, but I don't know what happened. I thought he would have had a great big future. Uh, John wants to know, does Bruce have any memories of Gunner Scott? He had a few matches on SmackDown, even beating Booker T. Then he disappeared to never be seen or heard from again. Holy shit. I know that name. I can't think of who the hell it is. Throw it in your Google machine and, uh, I'll give you a minute to do that, but it's Gunner Scott. And while you're looking for that, uh, who else was considered as Martel's partner when Tom Zink left? And what would you have done with Tito Santana if he wasn't selected? Well, Tito, I think had kind of run his course at that point as a singles. He had been intercontinental champion. He had kind of done everything that, that there was to do. And it just, uh, it was a good, it was a good fit for him and Martel. They were friends and they worked really well together. I don't know. I was, I was just starting at the time when he left. So I don't know any other names that were considered for that. And I think that Tito was the right guy for that role. 
And Gunnar Scott is a guy by the name of Brent Albright. Um, he was a OVW standout from Oklahoma. He was an amateur. Uh, absolutely great talent, but I think that at the time that he came in, there was a lot of talent in that same mold. So when you've got a, a Chris Benoit and a Kurt Angle and an Eddie Guerrero and all these guys that work very similarly and look the same way, I think that that's what happened to Brent, that he there wasn't anything unusual enough about him. Well, there wasn't anything terribly unusual about this episode. We wanted to get together, let you guys ask some questions, rapid fire on a hashtag love to know episode. We try to do these once or twice a year, and uh, I'm looking forward to what we're doing next week. If you'd like to uh, participate in a discussion about what the topics are, you should certainly follow us on Twitter at Pritchard show. You'll see from time to time, we'll throw a poll up there, let you guys decide what we're going to be covering. And you can ask questions for those shows. Uh, stay tuned next week, Friday, noon Eastern, every Friday for a very special something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Shaka Khan. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.